So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Peter says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once, he says, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, that's just a beautiful passage. That there tells us who we are in God's eyes. I know identity theft is a huge problem nowadays. We've got all this uh, advice given to us not to share our social security number, to hide our PIN number when we're at the ATM machine, to be careful who we give out personal information to because identity theft is rampant. I remember not too long ago, my mom, was, where her identity was stolen. And during that season, it was just so hard for her. One of her closest friends, she was like family to us, was working for her, for her business, and she had all her accounts, she had all her personal information. And years later, we found out that for many, many years, she was taking money from her mom and purchasing stuff for her own. And she was heartbroken, my mom was. She felt insecure. She felt betrayed. But during those tough seasons, she did not lose her identity. Why? Because she knew that God had a purpose for her. She knew that during this crisis in her life, she knew that out of this outcome, something was going to come out to glorify him. See, and the truth is, we've all had our identity stolen. Because we don't really know who we are. And since we don't know who we are, we're looking for identity again. We turn to see what the world tells us our identity is. Who we need to be. Who the world says we are. And we really should be turning like my mom did to who God is. To feel secure in his presence. So today we're going to be looking at these things. We're going to be looking at who the world says we are and who God says we are. Two things that we're going to be looking at. And we're going to break it down. And we'll go back to the passage and tell us who God is. But before I get started, I want to define uh, self-identity. And Timothy Keller uh, says this, I think, perfectly. Self-identity is broken down into two things. If you're taking notes, I recommend you write these down. Self-identity, two must to really have a a secure, true self-identity. The first is you must have a sense of self. A sense of self. And what that means is that you got to have something constant in you. It's never changing. Something that is just you, that is your core belief, a sense of self. For example, I'm different to different people. I talk differently to my mom than I do to my buddies. I talk differently to my wife than I do to my friends. But there's something in me that is set. It's not changing. It is my sense of self. The other thing you need to have is what's called sense of worth. You need to be field valued. You need to have some sort of purpose, some sort of worth. Because if you don't feel valued, if you feel useless, if you feel no good, then your self-identity is down the drain. So to have a positive, true self-identity, you got to have a true sense of self and a true sense of worth. If you don't have that, you're pretty much lost. And the problem is that we search for our sense of self, we search for our sense of, of worth in what the world says. We feel valued when someone says, hey, you did a good job, 
When really that person doesn't know between a good job and a bad job. We feel value by the materials we buy, the stuff we have. That's how we get our sense of worth, our sense of self. But today we're going to see what God says we are. So who the world says I am. There's three things that the world says we are. The first one is this. Who the world says I am is I am what I acquire. The world says you are what you acquire. What you own, your possessions, how much money you have. Look at the car I drive. My sense of worth, my self-identity is based on the car I drive. My self-identity, who I am, is based in the house that I live. How much money I have, my bank account. The approach is to this um, identity is I'm going to get as much as I can. It's me. It's all based on me. The more I acquire, the better I feel about myself. That's my self-identity. Our bank account is our self-identity. One of the biggest problems, and I think we, most of us fit into this category of um, we are who, what we acquire. That's what we say we are. And I think we're all guilty of this. Because think about it. We want to feel valued by what the world says. Look at Facebook. Look at social media. I, I don't post anything on Facebook, but I get on and I look at it and I can laugh. The, the update or, or the... The updates of who you are changes every hour. There's selfies. Some of you take selfies every hour to try and look better. And you're looking, oh, my comments, oh, someone liked me. I got 27 likes. And then you are posing, you're making the dog face, and you're doing all these angles. The higher you get, the thinner you look. We know. Because you want to say, hey, look at me. I'm beautiful. I'm accepted. You post all all these things on Facebook wanting to feel valued. That's what your self-identity is. We need that. Some of us think that are, are who we are. In other words, I'm the CEO of a company. Look what I've accomplished. Look at where I work. Look at what I do. That's my identity. I'm executive. Look at me. Wanting to have the world value you. I am what I accomplished. I worked hard at this. And there's nothing wrong, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself and looking good. That's not what I'm saying. But a lot of us are guilty of putting our identity in that. Puffing ourselves up by what we have done. We, we have a major problem, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, is that we look at our self-identity in our children. And as I prepared for this sermon, as I always do, God always surfaces up to me, a sin that I have. And I'm so guilty of putting my self-identity in my kids. And it really is pride. And most of us are guilty because all of us think, oh, you know what? My kid has to do all the sports and we put money into the sports and making the best basketball player, football player there is. Or, or you know what? My kid has to be the best in academics so we look for the best schools and it doesn't matter the cost. Or my, my child needs to be the best cheerleader, the best singer, the best pianist. We want that. And really what it is is that your identity is based on your children's accomplishment because you say, look at my kid. He can shoot a three-pointer like no other. Pride. And, man, I'm so guilty of that. And I'm recognizing that. And I, I think to myself, God doesn't want my kid to be the best basketball player there is or best football player there is. My, kid, my God wants my children to be the holiest kid there is. And we're guilty of that. 
And we're so guilty of that. Nowadays, I laugh. We've got awards for everything. Little Johnny, he's going to get an award because he blinked three times today. Bring him up. Yay, little Johnny. And everybody gets an award. We are damaging our kids. And we're telling them, this is what your self-identity is. My child, no matter what you do, as long as you participate, you're going to get a participation trophy. And when the child doesn't get that participation trophy or when that child is not number one or doesn't feel number one because that's what we've been telling them all their lives, their self-identity goes out the door. A lot of us fit into this category. See, the problem with this is, again, is that so much pressure is, is put on you, on how you look, on how much stuff you have, of the job that you work at, what your children's do, on how you perform. It's all this pressure put on you in the moment you fail because you will fail. Your self-identity is gone. You no longer feel good about yourself. You no longer have a sense of worth. And you need to have a good sense of worth to have a solid self-identity. Look what Timothy Keller says about self-identity when it comes to acquiring stuff. He says this, it's amazing. When you get around so many successful people, the brokenness there. You go into those successful families, you see the brokenness. You see the drug and the alcohol abuse. You see the kids all having eating disorders. What's going on here? As Herman Hayes put it, the great German writer, I have become a writer, but I have not become a human being. What he means is this, I did everything I possibly could to really become great at my job. I acquired it, and it turned out I never really got myself a self. We're trying to do all these accomplishments to get our self-identity, and at the end, we really don't have a definition of who we truly are. The second thing that the world says I am, who the world says I am is I am what I feel. I am what I feel. And this is a little different. Some of us fall into this category a lot. I see this uh, in the United States quite a bit. It's not about how much uh, you can accomplish or acquire. It's about how you feel. What is your deep feeling? That's who you are. Dig deep inside of you. Kind of like the meditation that Pastor Chad was talking about last, last Sunday. Just, um, this is how I feel. And when you really feel, uh, what you're, when you really get in touch with what your deepest feeling is, that's who you are. See, the problem with this is that, like I told you, you need to have a sense of self. And your feelings are always clashing with each other. One morning you wake up really good. I feel good today. And the next morning I feel bad. So there goes your self-identity. You can't base your self-identity on how you feel. Let me give you these examples. Let's, let's take this uh, young woman who wants to be really successful at her job. She wants to have a great career, but that will make her travel way too much. But that's her deep feeling. She wants to be a successful, hardworking woman. That's how she feels. But she also wants to be a mom. And deep down inside of her, there's nothing more she wants to have than a child. So her feelings are in clash with each other. They're, they're fighting each other. Do, do I get my career? That's who I am? Or, or am I mom? Do I stay home and, and nurture my children? Is that who I am? Again, there is no sense of self. There is no core definition for a self-identity. Or we see this a lot. You're born a boy, but you feel like a woman. 
in all your life? I, I know my boy, but, but I'm a woman. I, that's what I feel. And you have these people at Dr. Um, Dr. Phil's show, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Target having all these unisex bathrooms because, hey, you are what you feel. Because we base our self-identity on what the world says we are. Lastly, who the world says I am. And this I like to call the teenage self-identity. I am whatever I say I am. And if you have teenage boys or girls, this is where they fit into. And some of us, even though we're not teenagers, we say that we are. I am what I say I am. I don't care what everybody sells I am, everybody else says I am. I am what I am. Period. I'm a musician. I'm going to go and, and be a musician in California. And then you don't make it. But that's who you are. That's who you say you are. See, the problem with all these three um, what the world says I am, all these definitions of self-identity, they're based on how you feel. It's an internal self-identification. And we're social beings. We need someone to tell us truth of who we are. Yes, there's some self-identification, but we also need somebody from the outside to give us value, to give us wisdom, to tell us who we are, someone that we aspire, someone that we look up to. Because we need to feel valued, not only within us, but from outside of us. That's how we really get a true self-identity. I am what I acquired. It is, it, it, it is all on you, on me. I am how I feel. It's internal. I am who I say I am. Again, it's just you and no one's uh, speaking truth into you. But we need someone that we esteem. We need someone that we admire to tell us who we are from the outside. Again, I look at my kids. We're all into sports, as if you didn't know. You know, my boy plays uh, football. My younger one plays basketball. And every time I tell them, good job, in anything I do, they feel a sense of worth. If I tell them you did terrible, their self-identity goes down. But when I, when I give them value, their self-identity goes up. But the problem there, even when I tell them, hey, you're, you're, you're valuable, you do all these things, the problem with that is that I'm going to fail them. No matter how much I don't want to fail my boys, I am going to fail them. So even when someone tells you that you're valuable and you esteem them, they're going to let you down someday, somehow. See, the only person that will never let you down, the only person that would speak truth and tell you who you truly are is God. That is a true father who will never let them down. Let's go back and see what God told us when we opened up this sermon. Get back to this verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. Once you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your old self, your old identity, it's put to death. You're no longer that creation. You're a different creation in God. God looks at you differently. He looks at you like this passage tells us who we are. That is who our identity is. 
Let's not listen to what the world says we are. Let not the world define who we are. Let God define who we are. So let's take a look on who God says I am. Once you are in Christ, like I mentioned, once you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're all these things. Everything about you that is bad in your eyes is gone. All the sin, all that you have is no longer part of God's identity in you. So once you are in Christ, this is what First uh, Peter says again. First of all, he says, but you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. Who God says I am in Christ is this. Number one, it is I am accepted by God. Right off the bat, he says, you are chosen. You are accepted. To me, you are my child. I am accepted by God. We've all felt rejection. All of us. And rejection leaves a deep wound in us. We've been rejected in relationships, in our marriage. We've been rejected by our children, at work, at school. And then rejection just hurts us deeply. And we, we look for something to fill that void, fill up that void that we have, that rejected ha has given us. We need something to make us feel accepted again. So that's why we go and, and search for these worldly identifications. That's why we, we buy the car we buy sometimes. And like I mentioned, that's why we have the house. We, we want to feel valued again because we've been rejected. But God is telling us, you are accepted. I choose you. I remember as a child going to Guadalupe Elementary School from kinder to sixth grade. I would really, really not like going to, to recess. Because during recess, um, they picked teams and they would separate them. You all know what I'm talking about. And guess who was always chosen last? And I just felt rejected. I didn't feel valued. Not only that, the reason I was always chosen last is because during Christmas uh, season, they would have a, a Christmas play, and, and I was always asked to be Santa Claus. I was the biggest kid in school, and everybody rejected me. It was just a terrible wound that I had. But then I realized, and what God is telling you, in this verse, it's that you've been chosen. You are accepted by the creator of the universe. And that should give you a sense of security, a sense of worth, a self-identity like no other. I have been chosen by God. I want you guys to, to, to feel that. To truly feel that you are chosen, you are accepted. It doesn't matter how many times you've been rejected. It doesn't matter what the world says you are. Listen to what God says. You are a chosen race. I am accepted by God. I want you all to, to, to repeat after me. I am accepted by God. Say it again. You are. You have been chosen. And not only that, you have been chosen before anything when God made teams, he says, I choose you first. I choose you first. You were chosen before the creation. Look what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Think, think about that. As, as I pondered, as I thought of, of this scripture, I thought, wow. Before God put the sun in its place and the moon, before God created the universe, before the solar system came into existence, before he breathed creation, I, you, were chosen. Isn't that amazing? That truth in itself should just give us a self-identity like no other. We are accepted by God. Why? Why are we accepted? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. For our sake, he, referring to God, made him, referring, referring to Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, again in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God. He chose you and me before the creation, and we are accepted because we put our trust into Jesus Christ. It's not how much you acquire, how much you can do. He's done everything for us at the cross. It is a gift that's been given to us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. As a matter of fact, that's what grace is, is unmerited, undeserving love. And he chose you even though you're sinful, even though we reject him, he has chosen you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Religion says you've got to do all these things to be chosen. I've got to do this and able to do, be able to do this. And then once I do this, I can do this. And hopefully I am accepted by God. And God is saying, no, you are accepted because you put your trust and the one who has done everything for you. That is the first thing. I am accepted by God. The second thing that we see in this passage is this. I am extremely valuable to God. I am extremely valuable to God. As a matter of fact, to God, you are priceless. You are his trophy. He looks down and says, ah. That's my child. I'm so proud of him or her. I love watching um, two shows. I think it's Pawn Star and American Pickers. I love that. You know, Pawn Stars, people go and say, hey, how much is this worth? And then the American Pickers, they go look for junk and then find value in it. And two things that I've learned what makes things valuable are this, is who owns it and how much someone is willing to pay for it. That's what makes something valuable. Who owns it and how much someone is willing to pay for it? For example, if you were to get a, a pair of sneakers and you know that they were owned by Michael Jordan, that'd be pretty valuable to you, right? But if you get a pair of sneakers that, we, that were owned by that, that guy that says, Namada, shut up, go, go, Spurs, go. You remember that? Namada, shut up, go, Spurs, go. Hey, I have that in my mind. It's a long story. I met the guy. None of you seen it? Anyways, get on Facebook. Nambe, shut up. Go, Spurs, go. <laughs> I met the guy, but that's the first thing that came to mind. I apologize. So anyways, so you've got Michael Jordan sneakers or that dude that says, Nambe, shut up. Go, Spurs, go. Which one's more valuable? The Michael Jordan sneakers because they were owned by Michael Jordan. It brings value to that thing. That other guy, no one even knows who he is. And that's what God is saying. You know what? You are valuable to me. 
You belong to him. There's great value in your identity in God's eyes. He values you like no other. Look what Peter uh, says here, and again, back in our verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are a holy nation. Holy means set apart. It says, I have chosen you. I have set you apart. Because why? Because you are so valuable to me. You are different than everybody else. You are mine, he says. You belong to me. Look what Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says. It says this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. There it is again. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, he is saying, I think you're the most valuable. You might be saying today, well, that sounds good, but I don't feel very valuable. I don't feel that I'm that good. I don't, I don't feel priceless. As a matter of fact, I feel totally opposite that. I feel worthless. I feel that I'm, I'm no value to you. And let, let me just say this. Jesus Christ did not die for junk. Jesus Christ didn't hang on the cross for something that was worthless. Remember I told you that Two things that, that brings value to something and who owns it and how much someone's willing to pay for that. Jesus Christ was willing to pay his life for you and for me. If you don't feel valuable, if you don't understand the value that you have in God's eyes, look at the cross. And that should be a reminder of how much valuable you are in God's eyes. How priceless you are. Always be reminded that you were paid at a price. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Do not listen to what the world says you are. You were purchased at a great price. It took the blood of my son, God says, to purchase you. Do not feel undervalued. Who God says I am in Christ? My third point is this. I am purposely created by God. I am purposely created by God. Once we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we become a child of God. We're accepted. We're chosen. We are valued. But you know what? We've got a purpose. There's something in us. Our self-identity, to have a true self-identity, you've got to have a purpose that's worthwhile. And look what God says here in 1 Peter again, chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You have been called out of darkness into light in his son Jesus Christ. For what? To glorify him. To point others to Jesus Christ. To share the gospel. To invite your friends, your neighbors, co-workers to come and hear the good news. I... I say this over and over again. I love listening in the, in the pastor's reception, the, the new attendant's reception, I'm sorry. I love listening to people saying, you know, I was invited by so-and-so. Or I saw this tremendous change in so-and-so, people that come to grace, and, and I wanted some of that. So I ask, what's been the change in you? And they say, it's Jesus Christ. And they invite them. They just say, come and see. 
That's what we were made for. That's why God chose us. That's why we were purposely created. So we can proclaim the magnificence of who he is. So others can find their true self-identity. Look what Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 10 says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before the earth was created, he chose us and he said, you know what? Once you realize who you are, this is what I want you to do. Lead others to Christ. This should give us a strong self-identity because we've got purpose. We've got worth. We've been chosen. Not only all those things, but we also, God says, I am in Christ, is number four, is this. I am eternally loved by God. I am accepted. I am extremely valuable. I am purposely created. And I am eternally loved by God. That should give us all the security that we can ever imagine. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, again, in the same verse, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were sinful people, and you still are after you accept Christ, but now I see you differently. Now you are God's people. You're my people. You're my family. See, this is the truth. We are all God's creation, but not all of us are God's children. Until we put our trust in Jesus Christ, then we become a child of God. And once you become a child of God, you are unconditionally loved. You are loved eternally. You are secure. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. God loves all his creation. God wants everyone to come and to be his family. And once you've trusted him, you feel that security, that sense of self-identity of being loved. And there's lots of verses on God's love. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Psalm 100, verse 5 says this, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. We seek self-identity for security. One of the ways we feel secure is when we feel that we are loved. And God is saying, I love you unconditionally. Unconditionally. Do you know what that means? It means that no matter what you do, God cannot love you any less. It matters what you do, he cannot love you any more. His love is everlasting. It's unconditional. You need to feel God's love in order to, to feel his security. But we feel that we have to earn his love, to merit his love. If I go to church every day, maybe God will love me more. If I read my Bible every day, then maybe God will love me more. If I join all the small groups that the church have to offer, then God will really love me. And God's saying, no, I love you despite all that. I love you for who you are. That's your self-identity. That's how God sees you. It's unfailing. 
It's everlasting. Finally, who God says I am in Christ is this. I am totally forgiven by God. I am totally forgiven by God. I think this is where we struggle the most. I hear this quite a bit, and some of you probably are here today saying, man, if you knew what I've done, if God knew the sins that I have done, let me tell you something. God knows everything that you have done. You're not going to surprise God. If God had a Twitter account and you posted your sin, God wouldn't put O-M-M. I can't believe you did that. He wouldn't put O-M-G. He's God. Oh, my me is what he put. <laughs> you wouldn't surprise him. But I get this a lot. I get, no, I've done so many bad things. I can't ever be forgiven. And some of you are sitting here today feeling that guilt your past, those regrets. And God is telling us you are totally forgiven. First Peter, again, this verse, he says this, and we, he closes with this. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once, yes. Once you were not forgiven, but the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ... God looks down and doesn't see the sinful person that you are. He sees the beautiful person that you trusted in. And when God, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it. He said, all your sins from the past, they're gone. All your sins in the present, no longer, and in the future. Not that you're not going to sin anymore, anymore, but God has chosen not to remember, and he's forgiven them because you put your trust in Jesus Christ. No longer are you condemned. Now you have eternity with him. I love Romans, the whole book of Romans, the series we went over, just it clearly tells us this truth. Look what Romans 8.1 says. There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who have received mercy. No, I have it up. Sorry, sorry. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Do we have that? We don't. We have this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no longer any condemnation in you. You are to God without sin. Again, you're still sinning. But like the video says, now that you sin, now that you feel you've offended God, there we go. Back on. You are no longer in God's wrath. Jesus Christ took the wrath that you and I deserved upon that cross. You are forgiven, totally forgiven. See, our true identity is not on what we acquire or what we feel or who we say we are. It's none of that. It's not who the world says our self-identity is. Is who God says we are. See, and Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, lived a perfect life, and he knew where his identity was. He knew what his true self-identity was. He didn't say, you know what, I am what I acquire, because he had nothing 
He could have had everything, but he chose to have nothing. He says, the foxes have holes to call home. The birds have nests to lay their head. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Nothing. And as he hung on the cross, he was stripped of everything. His clothing was gambled away. His identity wasn't on what he acquired. His identity wasn't on who he felt he was. He didn't, well, today I don't, I don't feel like going to the cross today. No, his self-identity was on 100% obedience to the Father. Imagine, imagine as he prayed the night before he was crucified. Imagine he prayed, Father, let my will be done, not yours. Father, take this cup away from me and let it be done because that's how I feel. No. He knew what he had to do. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. He knew that there was no other way. And he lovingly went to the cross for you and for me. Jesus Christ didn't put his self-identity on who he says he was. He was God. He didn't walk around saying, hey, I'm not going to fix you. you. You stay blind. Why? Because I'm God. That's who I am. That's who, who I am. No. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he came to serve, not to be served. Imagine, church. Imagine if we were like that. Imagine if we really knew, like Jesus Christ knew his self-identity. If we really knew where our self-identity was at. We knew that it was established on God. Imagine the difference that we would make. Imagine a church who would not want everything that they could acquire to make them feel good, but was willing enough to give so that others could come and get what we have in Jesus Christ. Imagine a church that all that ever they ever wanted was to point others to Jesus because they knew that they had been accepted. And they knew that that was their purpose. Imagine that type of church Imagine what difference we'd make in that community if we had a church like that. Man, my prayer is that Grace Bible Church is that church or is on its way to becoming that church, to being a church that, that humbly knows that we are a child of God, undeserving, but we're loved, we're accepted, we've got a purpose, we've been forgiven. And we've loved, been loved and will be continually be loved by God. That is my prayer for this church. And if we shift our way from what God or from the world tells us we are and shift towards who God says that we are, our identity will be totally different. We'll be secure and we get different people.